So we're in 1 Peter chapter 3. We've come to verse 18, which we started last week. I'd like to uh, read that this morning. And uh, follow along as I read. Take out your apps or whatever else you have that you're holding on to to follow along. For Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. We thank you even for holding off the weather. And I thank you and praise you for the love of God that we just sang about. We thank you for the gifts that you've given us and the ability to be able to exercise those gifts for your honor and glory. Thank you for having the privilege of even technology to bring the word of God into the hands of so many people. And we count it a privilege to be able to open it up. And Father, we are dependent upon the Spirit of God to guide and to direct so that we might understand it. We're not relying upon man's ability. And Father, we just pray that the Spirit of God would use the Word of God in our hearts. We do thank you for our teens and thank you for their ability to go away for this retreat this weekend and pray that you would richly bless them as they interact with other teens from other churches and are challenged from the Word of God. Give them safety in returning to us tonight. And Father, we pray now that you'd help us to be attentive, help us to block out the busyness of our minds and schedules that the Spirit of God might just be able to bring forth the truth of the Word of God to each one of us. Those who know Christ, might it be precious to us in helping us to understand better the salvation you provided, and might the Spirit of God be at work opening up the hearts of those who don't know you, that uh, clearly he would do his work that they might see and understand the glorious news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We commit our study to you with thanksgiving and in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Last week we started this verse. We've been in the passage of 1 Peter, and uh, we're moving near the end of the chapter. Um, but we saw that as we came to this verse, and you can look at it again, that really... Christ is used as an example of someone who proclaimed the truth. Not only did he proclaim it, but we know he is the truth, but he proclaimed the truth of God, and believers are called to proclaim the truth, and the world needs to hear that. They are so bombarded with so much confusion and so much uh, spaghetti almost, so they can't unsort uh, the way things really are, or what God has given us, or how we can know Him. And we are called, as a citizen of heaven, to go into a hostile world and proclaim the truth of the Word of God. And we will suffer because of it. We will be rejected. We will not have a lot of people coming over to say, that, that oh, that was wonderful. Because it's not the message, especially when you get into the area of sin, that we'll talk about in just a moment. People don't want to hear it. Uh, but the example to us is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why he is given as an example again to someone who proclaimed the truth and suffered unjustly and yet was blessed of God, which goes back to, if you just quickly look there, verse 13, where it says, if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Well, how are we blessed? God is the one who blesses us and he is the one who we are accountable to. So the Messiah, the Christ, is the example to us. And last week we spent our entire message because we had communion and we had a limited amount of time. So last week we spent our entire message centered around the identification of the Christ. Because as you read verse 18, it says, for Christ, and we might take for granted who that is. The word Christ being the anointed one of God, being the anointed one, and being the promised deliverer that God had talked about in the Old Testament, the Messiah that people still talk about. And to, just to show you the importance of what I'm talking about here, the Jewish faith and those who have not yet come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, they still are waiting for the Messiah. Okay, they are still looking for a Messiah to come. So knowing who the Messiah is is very important, we saw last week. Many false prophets come along, and even in our 
day and age, believe it or not, in this century, in 2015, there are still false messiahs and false Christ and people who are gathering followings after them. So it's very important that we identify who the Messiah is. And so last week we spent our time on that and noted that it is none other than Jesus of Nazareth. Without question, Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He was the one that was sent by God. He is the only one that was sent by God as these perfect sacrifices we will talk about. He is the Son of God. He is the Son that was born of the Virgin Mary. He is the one that was born in Bethlehem that we celebrate at Christmas time. And He is the one identified in the Old Testament and clarified in the New Testament in Matthew, <coughs> excuse me, as God with us. And that's who it is. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, is God with us, the very God-man. He was identified by such people as John the Baptist when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And we'll be seeing that in a moment. And Matthew identified him. Peter identified him. We saw last week when Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? And then he turned around to him and said, the key point is, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. And uh, he said that uh, God revealed that to Peter. And certainly we have the identification of Jesus Christ by God himself. As he, a number of occasions, said, this is my beloved son. He him. So there is no doubt there is no question. The world may reject it, but it's important that we understand when you come to verse 18 and we talk about Christ, there is no question in verse 18 that he's talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Messiah. So today we want to take the time to unpack the rest of the verse. We've identified when he says for Christ as to who that is. Now let's unpack what the rest of the verse says so that we understand who this Messiah is, and the significance of understanding it. And we've entitled today's message, The Finished Work of Jesus Christ. And there are seven things that this verse points out to us. Seven vital things that we need to understand and we need to get the message to the world about. And don't take it for granted. So let's unpack it. Right away we see in verse 18, For Christ also died. There's the first one. He died. Well, if he died, that implies something. First of all, it implies that he lived. He was real. The historicity of Jesus Christ is important. There are those who believe that Jesus Christ was just a figment of man's imagination, a myth, a, a figure that we refer to. Uh, like uh, the, the bunny rabbits, uh, not that there aren't real rabbits, but uh, the Easter bunny is what I was trying to think of, uh, Mickey Mouse and so forth. And I don't want to destroy your uh, thoughts there, but uh, honestly, he was created by a pencil, okay? And that's what they think of with Jesus Christ, that maybe he was some type of myth. No, he lived. And if you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 for a moment, keep your finger to Peter, we'll keep coming back there. But in Luke chapter 2, though it may be fundamental for most of you, in Luke chapter 2, this is repeated over and over at Christmas time. I should go back to verse 11 so that it's in your mind when I talk about it. For when the announcement came to these shepherds, he says in verse 11, For today in the city of David there was born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And we've identified him, Jesus Christ. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. This was a real birth, a real person. He was seen by the wise men. He was seen by disciples. He was seen and talked to by his enemies. He actually grew in chapter 2. If you look at chapter 2 of Luke, verse 52, near the end of the chapter, the very last verse, it says, Jesus, interesting, same person, kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He was physically here, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is not just something that we think about or imagine happened. 
But Jesus Christ came into this world sent by God who loved us and he came into this world and he died. He died a physical death. This wasn't just a spirit. He died a very painful, a very torturing death. He was scourged, for example. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And I know this is basics for you, but we need to understand just what salvation is. Because a lot of people have a lot of different concepts of salvation and heaven and religion and what things do to get you in a right relationship with God. But it is this Christ who died. In chapter 19 of the Gospel according to John, in the very first verse, we read this. Pilate then took Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And scourged him. Now we bounce over that. And we've heard of whippings, and obviously there's been a lot of abuse throughout the centuries with people being whipped and scourged, and we think about that. But you need to understand that this was a very violent scourging. Uh, I don't even want to get into all the description, but I'll tell you that the whip that they used had bones and metal pieces, and actually these people were professionals. And they whipped him and ripped the skin right to the bone. This wasn't just beating with a little... Uh, so there was a physical... Just to let you know that it was a physical death. Uh, that we'll talk about what he did in just a moment spiritually, but you need to understand that he really did die. There was this scourging. When you come down to verse 18 of the same chapter, I tried to make it simple uh, within each book here. So go down to verse 18, it says, There, there, they crucified him and with him two other men. There were three people that were crucified at the time. Jesus Christ was crucified. It was a horrible death, physically. Beyond, uh, It was meant to get the most pain out of people. And did he really die? Chapter 19, go down a little bit further in chapter 19 to verse 31. I will come back to 30 later. But verse 31, then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was at high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that is, all three of them, and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him, that is, Jesus. But coming to Jesus, when they saw, watch, that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. And actually they pierced his side with the sword, according to the next verse. And immediately blood and water came out. That is just to show you that who is this Christ? This Messiah. He died a physical death. He died a painful death. Uh, and you could be sitting here this morning and say, okay, fine, he died. Everybody dies. What's the big deal? People die all the time, and every day they die. Uh, why is his death any different? And that's what we need to understand and unpack out of this verse. This is not just any death. Yes, he died physically, but go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we see the second thing. For Christ also died. So the Messiah, the anointed one of God, experienced physical death. Why, he tells you. Preposition. For sins. Folks, that's very important. Two just small little words in our English language. It is a substitutionary death for someone else. Look at what Peter has already taught us. Go back to chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Speaking again to believers, understand that. Verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered, that includes the death, for you. He did this for you, he says. Verse 24, same verse, same chapter. And he himself, that is Jesus Christ, bore 
He took upon him our sins where? In his body where? On the cross. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds we were healed. It is a substitutionary sacrifice that has been spoken of by Peter. Jesus Christ for me. Jesus Christ for you. As we come to trust in Christ, <coughs> we begin to see and understand it was a substitutionary sacrifice. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. You know, I remember, I don't know why this came to my mind. I just thought I'd share it with you anyway. Um, but I remember sitting there in the pew and when the uh, teacher or pastor would say, turn here, turn there. I don't know about you, but, I, you know, I couldn't get around in my Bible. Uh, some of you heard this story before. So I used to sit there, and you know how I get around in my Bible? I was too proud to look at the index. But I used to, I used to look out the corner of my eye and try to find out which way this one's turning. So if he's turning this way, I know if I go this way, I'll find it. If he turns the other way, I'll go this way, and I'll find it. That's just a true story. I say that because isn't it marvelous with technology? Even if you don't know how to get around the Bible, all you do is put Hebrews 9. Bang, there it is. It's flashing before you. It's pretty good. Anyway, Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verse 28. So Christ also having been offered, we're going to talk about this once for all in a minute, but offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time. I read that to you for salvation. He bore the sins. You don't have to turn there, but if you've got a computer, you'll get there quicker than I will. But he, uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 3 says this. It says clearly, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. That's what he did. So the Christ came and he died. Fine that he died. Why for sin? And we'll get to the sin aspect in just a second. But he died for. It's a substitutionary sacrifice. It all pointed to the Old Testament economy. That's why I read that passage in Hebrews to us earlier. Because the Old Testament had sacrifices daily, first of all. You need to understand that. Day after day after day, animals were sacrificed. And then annually, once a year, the high priest went in and had a sacrifice. And with those sacrifices, the people would identify with the animal. The animal would be sacrificed, and they would have to place their hand on the animal to identify, and the animal was atoning. That was the word that was used. It was atoning. It was actually covering the sins of the people. It would atone for them. It would cover for them. And why was it necessary? Because when it says for sins, sin exists. Our society today, it's sad. If you were to talk about sin uh, 50 years ago, I'll go back that far, um, people understood what sin was. Now it's a mistake. Now it's a deficiency. Now it's a... a psychological problem. Now it's the same thing as before, blame shifting. It's not their fault anyway. Someone else did it. It's the environment. It's someone else. And it, it, it's shifting of it. But the reality is sin exists. It come, we, we all have come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have fallen into sin, disobeyed the law of God. Whether it's through lying whether it's through stealing, whether it's through hating. Let me get into some of the things that go on in the heart according to Matthew. Strife. You say, I haven't gone out and killed anybody. Did you ever hate anybody in your heart? Did you ever seek revenge in your heart and then maybe even carry it through? That's sin. Okay? Did you ever lie to anybody? Well, it was a venial sin. No, it was a sin. It was a little white lie. Lies aren't white. Okay? There's really no color. It's disobedience. In fact, if there is any color, it's red. Because if your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. So, it's sin. Well, that you say, that's not important. Yes, it is. Because in Romans chapter 6, it says, the wages of sin is death. And it brings it right back to why the Messiah came and died. You see? 
why we face death ourselves. The consequence, the wage, the reward, what we get paid back for what we do is death. It's what the Lord's table last week that we had is all about. It's a reminder. It illustrates the Lord's death, Matthew 26. Why don't we turn there? It just makes it clear. You know, when it comes to communion, with my background, I used to think that transubstantiation, that's a big word, don't worry about it. But transubstantiation was true, and that is that every time I took the host, I was actually taking in the body of Christ. That's not the idea of communion at all. The idea of communion is it's a reminder. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, these are the type of things I like to give classes because it's easy to memorize. 26, 26. Um, verse 26, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took the same bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, Take, eat, this is my body. And then, had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye, drink from it, all of you, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink the, of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And that's why Paul, in his writing, says that we had to do this in remembrance of Christ till he comes again. And so it's a visual aid. Why did Christ die? Why did the Jesus, why did the Messiah die? He died as a consequence of sin. God is perfectly holy. We're going to see that in a moment. And in His perfect holiness cannot have sin and us in His presence. We're unlike Him. And the consequence of sin is death. So He sent the Messiah to die as a substitute for sin. Well, maybe He does it all the time. No, go back to 1 Peter. That's point number three. It is once for all. He doesn't die many times growing up and being an altar boy. And sometimes people don't know, but it used to, it still technically is, though they, don't, they avoid it, but it's called the sacrifice of the mass. Look, at there was only one sacrifice. Christ doesn't get sacrificed over and over and over again. Not many times, not even annually. And that is the point of the passage that I read in Hebrews. There was the annual sacrifice that went on where once a year the high priest and only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And that was done. No, in the case of Jesus Christ, it is not many times. It is once for all, one sacrifice. Go with me to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 7 first. Hebrews chapter 7. This is all significant to understand. Who is this Jesus that came? Just a fine teacher? Was he just a nice moral man for us to follow? Was he someone that I just attached to religion? No, not at all. This Jesus was the one sent by God as the Messiah to die. A violent death. As a substitute. One time only. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. I'll go back to verse 26. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, this is Jesus Christ, holy, innocent, we'll talk about that in just a moment, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer off sacrifices, watch this, first for his own sins. Remember that. These priests that went in there did it annually and their sacrifice was for their sins as well. And then it says in verse 27, for the sins of the people. So the sacrifice that they carried on, even with the animals, it was for themselves and for the people. And it goes on to say, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He only had to do it once. By offering himself, and it was for others. When you go to chapter 9, in verse 23 where I read, and all the way through chapter 10, you'll notice that over and over again. But go to chapter 10, verse 12. It says, but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, 
sat down at the right hand of God. It's so significant. People toss around the name Jesus Christ all the time. Isn't this interesting? It ought to be to you. When it comes to cursing, whose name is used? Jesus Christ. Why is it that people don't curse in the name of Buddha? Why is it that they not curse in the name of Allah? Why is it that they not curse in all these other names? You know why? Because men hate the fact that Jesus Christ is the only one way in sacrifice. And it's interesting, even those who don't believe in Christianity use the name of Christ in cursing. He died once for all time. That's why John chapter 19, I read to you verse 31 forward. Here's what it says in verse 30. It, help me, is finished. Jesus Christ gave up his spirit and he said it's finished. What is finished? The satisfaction of the justice of God being paid by the one he sent in a literal physical death that was a substitutionary, the only type of substitutionary death that was acceptable. Only done once. Not two times, not ten times, not a thousand times. The debt for sin was paid. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. This is the good news that men need to understand. God has provided salvation himself. And in chapter 2 of Colossians, verses 13 and 14, I love this passage. It's such a vivid picture. It says, when you were dead, when a person's dead, we know it. There's no speech, there's no breathing, there's no life. In that condition, he says, in your transgressions, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, that is God, made you alive. How can you make a dead person alive together with him? How does he do it? Having forgiven, I want you to catch this, forgives us all our transgressions. There is no sin that is too great for the forgiveness of God. Then he says this, how did he do it? Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of the decrees against us, there was debt against us. It's like if you had, being a, with accounting background, a ledger, well, think of it this way. You have a car payment, or you have a mortgage, and what you have is you, you have this property, but there's a debt against you that has to be paid off. Jesus Christ came, and he paid the debt for sin. Once for all, and it was paid off. This isn't a monthly payment over five years. This isn't a mortgage that takes 30 years to pay. It was a one-time sacrifice, substitutionary. You say, then why all that Old Testament? I'll give it to you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, you want to mark it down. It says that the Old Testament was our schoolmaster. It was our tutor. It was our instructor to bring us to Jesus Christ so that we would understand that he is the fulfillment of it all to pay the debt for our sin. And he would only do it once. But he goes on. Point number four. Go back with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. Jesus Christ also died for sin. Fine, we understand that. We're in the, right now, throughout the world, people are recognizing the Advent season. And it's all working up to Good Friday, and it's working up to... Uh, what is known as Easter to us. And there are people all over the world that are on special diets and, and won't do certain things because of the Lenten season and trying basically to think they're winning favor with God and because they can't do this and whatever. All pointing to the fact of this death that we're talking about. It was a death. It was physical. And it was substitutionary. But it was done once, and here what it is, here's what it is. The content of it is the just for the unjust. Look at it. He says, once for all, the just for the unjust. How is it possible 
for God who is holy to be satisfied with us who are unholy. Just stop right there for a second. Man's thinking is that I hopefully can be holy enough to win back God's favor. If I just help enough people, if I just obey the Ten Commandments, let me challenge you, do you even know what they are? How are you going to obey them if you don't know them? If I just go to church enough, I hope that when I die I'll be good enough. Maybe if I just read my Bible, listen to this, maybe if I know my Bible. You want to know something? To my knowledge, some of the most knowledgeable people of the Bible were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They knew their Bible. And they're not going to be in heaven. Many of them, some are. How is that possible, Pastor Dan? Because they wouldn't believe on the one that God sent, who was just. He is the only one who is just. In fact, he said that. Go with me to Luke chapter 18 for a second. I want you to see this. Luke chapter 18, conversations going on with a rich young ruler, which is a very fascinating passage to begin with. But he comes up to Jesus himself in chapter 18, verse 18. He says this, The ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And by the way, many Christians probably would have jumped on that and said, Jesus should have turned around right there and said, Believe on me and you shall be saved. This is what he said. Interesting. Jesus said to him, first of all, why do you call me good? Watch this. No one is good except God alone. Right there, that rich young ruler should have been stopped in his tracks. And if you're going to call me good, then you're understanding that I am God. By the way, he is God. Then he told him, and I could go on to a whole message on this. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery and so forth, and directs him back. Why? Because all of the law pointed to Christ. You know why? Let me give it to you in a nutshell. Because you might think you can keep the Ten Commandments of the law, but all that's doing is shining more light on your sin. That's all it does. It shows me how great a sinner I am. That's why it points me to Christ, because he is the just one. And that's what we're learning in Peter. You say, well, I'm not so sure. Remember what we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24? It says, he himself bore our sins on the cross that he might die to sin so that we might live unto righteousness. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 He made, that is God, well, let me go back to verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ. We're talking about Christ and Peter. Be reconciled to God. Fine. How's that happen? He made him, the Messiah, who, watch this, knew no sin. Substitutionary, to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. How? In Him. Substitutionary sacrifice. Substitutionary sacrifice. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Again. Verse 26. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Jesus Christ was no ordinary man. He wasn't just a good teacher. He was God's sacrifice for sin. God loved us so much. It was the just. There was no sin in Christ. All mankind fall into this verse. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I, myself, friends, and you are sinners. 
all of mankind. And whether mankind wants to believe it or not, and you want to believe it or not, the only perfect sin sacrifice that was sent into the world once and suffered it once was Jesus Christ. To satisfy the righteousness of God. The just for the unjust. He was in my place. And nobody knew that better as far as visual aid, as far as I'm, I, I understand, than Barabbas. Because Barabbas should have died. And yet they cried out and said, free Barabbas and crucify Christ. And when Christ was crucified, Barabbas knew that he was set free and didn't deserve it. He was guilty. And Christ died on the cross. Whether that man saw it as substitutionary, I don't know. But what I do know is he understood through visual aid what it meant to have someone die when he deserved it. You and I deserve death. Eternal separation from God. That's why we come to point five. Go back to 1 Peter. And if you're here as a believer, this ought to thrill your soul. For Christ died for sins. Once for all. The just for the unjust. I didn't deserve it. I was dead. I was the enemy of God. I was in sin. And you might be sitting here today saying, oh, the sin in my life, I'm in trouble. Yeah, but Christ died and paid the penalty for price for sin. Why did he do that? Watch the next expression. To bring us to God. To bring us to God. He accomplished that. According to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it is Jesus Christ that is able to bring us to God. He is the one that is able to bring us in that right relationship with God. Since man was created, people know the story. They even joke about it, about Adam and Eve. I mean, I've even joked about it a couple of times because that's where our first automobile was. The angel drove them out of the Garden of Eden. That was a bad joke. But anyway... What, what I want you to see is, that seriously, God, because of sin, had to have man leave his presence. How do I get back? How do I get back to be in the presence of God? Can I do that? Can I be as good as I could be? Can I hope in a church? Maybe I can hope in Fellowship Bible Church. Maybe I can hope in a Presbyterian church. Maybe I can hope in a Baptist church. Maybe I can hope in a Roman Catholic church. Maybe I can hope in the temples of Buddha. Maybe I can hope in this religion. Maybe I can hope in my ancestors. Maybe I can hope. No, you can only hope in the one sacrifice once for all that satisfied the justice of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Because he is the only one that can bring us to God. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come unto my Father but by, except through me. It's the only one. The only one. When Christ died, according to Matthew chapter 27, you need to understand this, verse 51, when he died, not only was it a violent death for him and there were earthquakes, but there was, with the Old Testament sacrificial system, the people couldn't go in. You go all the way back even to the tent, never mind Solomon's temple or whatever. And there was a division, and they could come to the entranceway and bring the animal, and the priests were there, but all the priests couldn't even go in beyond the other curtain, which went into the Holy of Holies. And if you want a visual aid, by the way, because we're living in this area with Roman Catholicism, that's where the host was. That's why that little area where they would open the... The, the drawer and the drawer would open or the outside would open and then inside there'd be a curtain there and beyond that was the host. That was all representative of this. And when it says in Hebrews, that was a vivid picture to me. The priest standing daily at, having the sacrifice of the mass. Back there it was the sacrifice of the Levitical priesthood. But day after day can never take away sin. The only one that could take away sin was Jesus Christ. He was the only one that could bring us to God. Why? Because he came from God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sent him. That whosoever believeth in him would not perish, 
that have everlasting life. Sixth, it says in our text, we need to finish it up here, it says, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh. According to the book of Hebrews, and this is the evidence that Jesus Christ was fully a man. He was put to death in the flesh. He died a physical death. He experienced that which was not common to man. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We are flesh and blood. And according to Hebrews chapter 2, he took upon him that which was not common to him, and that is flesh and blood, so that he would experience death, so that he could pay the penalty. Why? Because God is holy. God is perfectly holy, perfectly just, and he could experience that death. And number seven, very important, but alive in the spirit. Now, what in the world does that mean? People have interpreted this passage in different ways. Many re refer to the Holy Spirit. I don't think that is what is being referred to, just so you hear it from me. There is no article in the Greek here, by the way. Not that that seals the deal. But there is no article there, first of all. And I think if you look at the whole contrast in the context, it's giving us a picture of what happens to us. The flesh dies, but the spirit lives on. And I think it's referring to his spirit and the distinction between the flesh and the spirit because Christ is our example and he will suffer. And the whole point of verse 18 is here's someone who was just and was suffering unjustly, but he was blessed of God because he was the one that was able to bring us to God. And his experience even in death is the same thing. He experienced it physically, but his spirit continued to live on. And when it talks about that, I believe that's what it is, alive in the spirit. And it's not meaning that he didn't have a resurrection because some have taken it that way. It was a physical, bodily resurrection that Jesus Christ experienced. People touched him. People saw him after his death. It is dealing very clearly with the fact of what happens to us when a person dies. I say that at funerals. The loved one, the remains go into the ground. People often wonder, but what about the rest of the person? The spirit lives on and continues to live on. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for every believer. So it's an absolutely tremendous verse that brings out the whole point of salvation. And what is it? What is the whole point of everything here? The whole point of everything that Jesus Christ is showing us through Peter in the discussion is there's only one sacrifice that will ever satisfy our sin. And it's Jesus Christ. There is only one way to heaven. It's got nothing to do with Fellowship Bible Church. It's got nothing to do with any other church. It's got nothing to do with relatives. It's got nothing to do with ancestral line. It's got nothing to do with how good I can be. And you have to come back to this question, which was asked of me at one point in time. Are you sure if you died right now, you would be in the presence of God in heaven forever? And when that question was asked of me, I had to be honest with my heart. I didn't know. And I wasn't sure. And I want to be honest with you. At that point in time, I wasn't even sure that anyone could know. I didn't believe anyone could never know that. But how I'm grateful that by the mercy of God, he opened my understanding to find out you can know. Because God's given us his word. And Jesus Christ was a substitutionary sacrifice. And how does one get then their sins forgiven? How does one get to heaven? It says God brings us to, Jesus Christ brings us to God. Does it happen automatically? No. It's a free gift that's offered. Jesus Christ was sent. The debt has been paid, and it's only through faith and faith alone. It's not like many religions of the world. I'll attach Jesus Christ on and everything else that goes along with my religion. It's not even... I'll attach, my understanding as I was growing up was that Jesus, I believe Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. I believe he came into the world. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he was resurrected. I believed all of those things. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. But my concept was he's now opened the gates of heaven and if I'm good enough, I can get in. Or some that you have to be baptized. We'll talk about baptism next week. It's a very interesting passage we're coming to in verse 19. Forward. Not so. Not so. The free gift is entered into by faith and faith alone. He simply said, 
whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have eternal life. I want you to see one more verse before we close. Go with me to a very familiar verse, and I don't care if you've been a Christian a hundred years, and I don't think anybody's in that category in this room. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll wrap it up. Verse 1. And you were dead. We understand death. In your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly, he's talking to people who have now trusted in Christ, walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that now worketh in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we, he includes himself, the apostle Paul, too, all formerly lived. Where is it? In the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, even in the thinking. And we're by nature children of wrath. The message of the world is man is basically good. The message of God is man is not good. Man is a sinner. And we don't want to hear it. But watch this. Even as we were in that condition, verse 4, but God, he took the action, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even in that condition when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. Only he can do that. Who can raise a dead person? Only God. Who can bring a person out of death into salvation? Only God. Not the best of my evangelism. Not the best of my intentions. Not the best of my work. It is through the foolish preaching of the word of God that God has chosen the mechanism for the word to be preached. It penetrates into the thoughts and intents of the hearts and is able to change someone for eternity. Only God can do that. And he was concerned. And his mercy is shown and his love toward us that while we're dead in that situation made alive together with Christ, how are you saved? Verse 5, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated in the, with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the ages to come, he, God, might show his surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. If you don't catch it, verse 9, uh, not as a result of works so that no one can boast. And I'm well aware of the arguments with the Greek language in verse 8. Listen, even the faith is given to us by God. That the, the word that is referring to the whole process of salvation. The whole process of salvation comes from God. Do we have to believe? Of course we do. Of course we do. But that's what it is. It's faith, guys. And I say guys as a general term. We need to understand that. And if you've never heard it before, or if you've heard it before and you've heard it and heard it and heard it and haven't paid attention, the only way to get back to God in the presence of God, the only way to have your sins forgiven is by having a perfect sacrifice, a just dying for the unjust in a substitutionary way. In the passage that we are studying, Peter makes it very clear that it is Christ that did it. He did it once and only he can bring us to God and he did it by dying and his spirit lived on, and then he rose again. He doesn't get into that aspect of it. And by faith in that work of Jesus Christ, you can have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. No other way. I thank God that many in this room have trusted in Christ. Listen, if you've been trusting in yourself, you've been trusting in religion, I know of some of my relatives that are still trusting in their religion. I beg you on behalf of God, Trust in Jesus Christ. He's the only one. He's the only one-time sacrifice that was ever given by God to satisfy God's righteousness. The debt is paid. You can't earn it. You can either accept the free gift or refuse it. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Right now, right there in the pew. The night I get saved, and I close with this, I was even involved in a conversation last night 
And I said this to the person, the night I got saved, oh, I said a prayer later, but I got saved right in the room when I heard the gospel and in my heart believed it. Right in a house. You can be in a pew, in a car, in a house. And you understand the message of God and in your heart believe it, not just in your head. And by faith, trust in Christ, you are brought from death unto life. If you've never trusted in Christ, trust him now. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Apostle Peter. What a depth of understanding the Spirit of God gave him in encouraging believers, first of all, who are suffering. To continue on in the things of Christ and to continue to live for him, understanding that Christ is our example, and what better example? We deserved it. He took the penalty of sin. He stood up, even in persecution, and so can we. But Father, also what a vivid picture for those who are dead to understand Hell is real. Heaven is real. The gift of eternal life is real. And only forgiveness of sins can happen through the Messiah, the one that you sent, the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid a substitutionary sacrifice, the just for the unjust, to satisfy your righteousness. And I pray that if there be any in this room that have not trusted in Christ, that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day they understand and that each believer would rejoice and live for the Lord Jesus Christ with confidence by the strength of God that no matter what we face, we can live it victoriously. We pray in Jesus' name.